0: Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckheads join me shortly. Our topics this week at Jackson County Government, more days of delays. No delays at City Hall on the border battle as a due administration begins. And is at the beginning of the end for the Biden campaign. Plus, of course, roast and toast. But we're going to start with our newsmaker segment and welcome a member of the Kansas House. Brandon Woodard of Lodexa represents the 30th District. He describes himself as a community organizer, advocate, and lifelong Kansan. Woodard, a Democrat, made history last year, becoming one of the first openly LGBTQ candidates to win election to the Kansas House. Brandon Woodard, welcome to Ruckus. Thanks very much for coming in.
2: Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: we know House districts are 22 23,000 people. Uh, you're from Lenexa. Is Lenexa the bulk of your district?
2: Uh, it's about 50-50. I've got about uh, half Lenexa and half Olathe, kind of the north-central part of Olathe. All
1: right, this is the first time you've run for elective office uh, beyond college, right? Right. Uh, what prompted you to run?
2: So I had been involved in Lenexa working for some folks that I believed in, running for school board, city council, things like that uh, and I just felt like the district needed someone who would really be a voice for them. Um, our, my predecessor refused to ever meet with constituents or respond to their phone calls or emails unless they agreed with them uh, and I'm also a higher education fundraiser and so after multiple consecutive cuts to higher education in Kansas I felt like I couldn't just sit around and complain anymore. I had to actually get out there and do something about it.
1: You got a lot of po- Publicity. All the news stories I read about you mention your sexual orientation. Was that an issue in the campaign?
2: It wasn't really an issue in the campaign. You know, I was running to lower the food sales tax, to expand Medicaid, and to fully fund our public schools. Um, I think a lot of people were excited about the fact that we could have our one of our first openly LGBT voices in the state house. Um, but it certainly wasn't the one of the main reasons I was running. Um, but I learned kind of throughout the campaign where it didn't come up in a, a negative manner, Um, but really how important representation is, having young kids from Kansas, even in my district or out in central or, or western parts of the district, reaching out to me after being elected, who said, you know, your election made me feel like I have a place here, here in Kansas. And, you know, it gave me the confidence to come out to my family or whatever else. And so didn't come up as a negative, at least to my knowledge. Um, but we really mostly didn't talk about it at the doors. Well, that
1: that would be considered good news, would yeah, it not? That it, it wasn't an issue in the campaign,
2: yeah. which wouldn't have been the case many years
1: ago. Now that you've spent some time in the Kansas legislature, is it what you thought it would be?
2: It is. You, you learn a lot in your first year. Um, as someone who was who kind of prouded themselves on being very engaged and and following along with the legislature. Uh, You think you know how it works until you get there, right? And then you realize, okay, I'm a Democrat. I'm one of 41 in the House. It takes 63 votes to pass a bill. Oh, okay, like, you know, let's start building some relationships. Uh, You learn a lot. Uh, It's a whirlwind every single day, um, but it's an exciting time.
1: The session uh, resumes next January. Uh, unless there's some sort of a special legislative session. Right. What would you say are the Democratic Party's major goals for 2020?
2: Uh, I would say, you know, we've been talking in the interim, this is the time to get that sort of work done, and maybe not as much as the Democratic Party, as much as, you know, the governor's administration uh, and us trying to be part of that voice in the legislature getting Medicaid expansion across the finish line I think is one of our key priorities it's something that we have to do we have forfeited three billion dollars of our tax dollars that we're not having come back to Kansas Uh, so that's one of the big ones protecting the school funding formula I think is very important Um, the courts have said you've put enough money in you adjusted for inflation don't touch it Um, they've retained jurisdiction in that court case so we have to make sure that no one tries to change the
1: funding formula What about the school districts? Do you think they will stay out of it and not file more litigation?
2: Well, I guess some of the school districts were involved in this court case, and so, you know, they seem satisfied with it mostly. Well, I'm not sure
1: that's entirely the case.
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, this is one of the first times that we've had the legislature, the governor, and the Supreme Court, all co-equal branches of government, all sign off on this on this plan.
1: Yeah, that was a rare occasion. It is. And one, I guess, to be celebrated. Uh, The U.S. Senate seat is open in 2020. Uh, A lot of people are hoping that Sibelius will run, and she says she won't. Do you see any uh, potential Democratic nominees who could win?
2: You know, as a down-ballot Democrat, you know, they steal all (laughs) all of our thunder, right? Uh, But I'm very excited about Barry Grissom's candidacy. He's been out for years trying to build the the party grow the infrastructure and really get people excited about being a Democrat in Kansas all over the state. Um, we've heard several names, Barbara Bollier, uh I know uh, Nancy Boyd is in the race too. So it's exciting for the first time in a long time to have a, a Democratic primary. Um, I think that that will be up to the people of kansas the democrats of kansas to pick their their, their banner carrier
1: well not a lot of people to choose from i guess yeah <laughs> anyway uh if people want to contact you i imagine you have an active website
2: i do it's woodard for all spelled out uh and we've got everything links to our social
1: media and all that up there well it's great to meet you thank you very much for coming in and good luck with uh, the 2020 session thank you so much come back and see us again we will do all right That is Kansas State Rep. Brandon Woodard of Lodexa. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Patrick Tui is Director of Municipal Policy at the Show Me Institute, a free market think tank. Gwen Grant is President and CEO of the Urban League in Kansas City. Jason Grill is founder of J. Grill Media, a public affairs, strategic communications and media relation consulting firm. And Ron Freeman is a motivational speaker and writer. An all-star panel today with a lot to say, I hope. We'll see. Let's start with Jackson County government. That gives us plenty of material. We could talk about the jail problem, the battle between the prosecutor and the county executive, or the disagreements between the sheriff and the legislature, but we're not going to. We're going to start with property tax estimates and the continuing delays by county officials who face much discontent from property owners who believe they are being overtaxed. The deadline to appeal the estimates has been delayed again by popular demand, this time to September the 3rd. And there does not seem to be any obvious solution to mitigate the tax crisis for many area residents. Patrick, is someone who watches governments closely, how did we get to this situation that no one apparently knows how to solve? Uh, yeah, it's
3: been decades in the making. And, and I think, uh, you know, Mike Hendricks, for example, at the Star has been reporting on this for years. And uh, the point he's making is that the county was under pressure to correct its artificially low assessments of the past. And so I suspect that the assessments that the county issued recently are accurate or more accurate. Um, But because it's done such a poor job, under-assessed for so many years, people are shocked by the sticker price. Now, what's important to understand is that because of the Hancock Amendment in Missouri, seeing a high increase in your assessment does not necessarily mean you will see a high increase or any increase in your tax rate. Because if your assessment goes way up, your levy may have to come down. So I'm frustrated that there is a large amount of drama on this, and I think some of the reporting in Kansas City has been pretty weak.
1: I was going to ask, uh, has there been overreaction? Because this is not the final amount that people are going to pay.
3: No, that's right. I think people see an increase in their assessed value, and they panic. And they panic because they haven't been prepared for this, and the reporting has kind of stoked the fire.
1: Gwen, are you hearing a lot about it from uh, constituents Uh, at the Urban League?
0: Absolutely, and I, I can't believe I agree with Patrick 100%, <laughs> right? He said, I mean, you're absolutely right on point with everything. You know, yes, I think the, the major problem here, another problem here, is that Jackson County has failed to do a sufficient job of educating uh, homeowners about the assessment process as they, as they move forward with trying to level this out. So people are confused. They get these statements, and, and when I got mine, when you read the statement, it leads you to believe mm-hmm. that you're going to be paying this much, you know, mm-hmm. this higher tax. But you, they don't understand that they haven't been assessed a tax yet. What this t- is doing is pointing out how what the county is supposed to do is to assess market value of their home, and then the tax, the levy, will be set by the taxing jurisdictions. And I think people need to understand. that. And there that. are a
1: bunch of taxing
0: jurisdictions, yes. right? Yes.
1: But
4: it just seems uh,
1: arbitrary, right?
4: Assessments always are, they, they're just subjective to what, what did this house sell for next to you? What's the street doing? It's just is very hard to understand. And nobody likes a tax increase no matter what. So there is always going to be some people that complain, but the fact that we had over 25,000 this yeah. time really point to the frustration. But as somebody whose mind went up, increased a lot, but it's uh, part well, of the Well, you deal. got a lot of
1: money, so that's... <laughs> <horrible>. <laughs> uh, is, is it possible, Ron, that uh, the media covers Jackson County government so little only the controversies, that people were unprepared because we don't know what's going on in Jackson County, Governor.
5: Well, it it kind of, it's just stirring the pot a little bit. And I think you're looking at the reality where the county had to kind of basically catch up on assessments. And so we get, instead of having a two-year increment, we see a four-year increment, and we see things that go back way further that, now, that's going to shock people. But, I mean, to me, you talk about an overreaction when people are suggesting that Frank White is the head of some systemic racist orientation that's trying to oppress minorities it's like wait a minute back up practicality I mean we've talked about it right here you they're trying to balance out the scale that's all
1: when I saw the story about the Rock Island line proposed hiking and biking trail paid for by Jackson County government I thought about you Patrick how you you must be reacting It's a mess, and it is frustrating. I think there is
3: a great deal of truth to the question you ask, which is, is activity in the county level undercovered? covered? And part of that is because who knows if there's a market for reading what's going on in the county. But they've got very few jobs, right, assessing property taxes, running a jail, and they seem to do everything poorly. Uh, maybe a process audit, maybe a, uh, a financial audit, maybe just a... Uh, hire somebody independent to go through and be able to tell the voters what the hell is going on in the county. But what happened with the railroad situation? So I'm familiar to this, having uh, grown up on the East Coast. In Virginia, you've got an awful lot of uh, rails that weren't used, and so the state introduced uh, a rails-to-trails program, right? But the property owners along the rail said, wait a minute, this property was taken to me, taken from me for a particular pers- purpose. If you're not using it for that purpose, I want it back. And so that's what's happened in Missouri. So the
1: county, Jackson County's paid 50 some million dollars yeah. for this territory and, and agreed, they not get to use
3: it. Well, and they agreed that uh, to allow rail traffic to go through if it, if it was needed, but they tore the rails up. And that's the problem. The federal government said you cannot promise to provide for rail traffic and then tear up the rails.
1: We have to move on down the track now. Uh, What seemed to be be an intractable problem may have been resolved by an unusual show of bi-state and intra-state cooperation. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly has signed an executive order ending the state's involvement in what is called the border war between Kansas and Missouri, especially within the metro area. Kelly's action follows Missouri's passage of a new law dealing with the same issue. Both end long-term tax breaks and other economic incentives to attract businesses to move short distances across county and state lines. One day after being inaugurated, Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas announced plans for an ordinance putting Kansas City in compliance with both state actions. Now, it is generally assumed that ending the border war will be a good thing for the metro area. Do you agree with that assessment, Gwen, and if so, why?
0: Well, I certainly hope it will be a good thing for the metropolitan area, and I do agree with ending ending uh, the border war. But it really depends on the on the leadership that we get locally in our local municipi- municipalities as to uh, how they move forward with tax incentive reform and begin to invest and use tax incentives to uh, redevelop the east side of. Kansas City and the eastern side of Wyandotte County so this is an opportunity for them to do that I think but it's it's significant that uh... you know the other positive impact is that with the the way that the executive orders uh... or you know designed is to only allow uh, incentives to create additional new jobs. And so what has been happening in the border war is that they've just been jumping across the border and not creating new jobs. So this measure is, is certainly a great step in, in uh, creating new jobs and only using Now, these
1: actions purpose. stop the state from doing certain the things. State, but Don't stop cities. No, now, Kansas City, Missouri no. is apparently going to stop itself. Right. But other cities in the metro area can give incentives, They can right? still
0: give incentives, yes. So I was really delighted to see um, Mayor Lucas get on board quickly and hope that he will follow through on his campaign promises to use incentive forms more you know, more in alignment with what they're designed to do, and that is to address blighted areas. Now,
1: Jason, I hear you talking about big-ticket items on your Saturday radio oh, program. I'm well, plugging my show. I love it. Uh, <laughs> On 980 AM Talk Radio, yes. the Grill Nation show. Yes, sir. Uh, you like big-ticket items. Now, will this, uh, <laughs> this end to economic incentives, delay big projects in Kansas City and Missouri? I,
4: I, no, it won't. I like jobs, and Mike, and this thing is a. Um, it's going to be fine, as long as all the cities and the counties go with it. I work on both the Kansas and Missouri line with development projects and clients, and I know that people on the Kansas side weren't happy at first about the governor signing this, uh, but they will be if the local stuff is fixed. Uh, this is between jobs between states. It's not going to affect Missouri, Kansas's, Kansas City's ability to go and create new jobs or bring companies in to our area as much as uh, other things have.
1: Patrick, what do you think about what these folks have been saying? Do you agree with most of it?
3: I think it is an awfully nice gesture. I think it is a positive step. But having followed economic development incentives in Missouri for quite some time now, I can tell you that the definitions matter. And uh, developers are perfectly capable and willing of <coughs> fudging the numbers on what is a new job uh, and unless uh, the the localities and the state actually define these terms, uh, and put teeth to them, we will see what we saw with TIF, which is TIF was set up to address blight. It doesn't. TIF was set up to uh, uh, help uh, uh, impoverished areas. It doesn't. It was supposed to only uh, uh, invest in projects where private investment couldn't uh, couldn't work. It doesn't. So uh, you know. It's a nice gesture, but uh, the devil's in the details. Uh,
5: yeah. Well, there's an un, uh, there's an unbiblical version of the golden rule. It's called "He who has the gold makes the rule," right? <laughs> and when is somebody, that a motivational uh, speech? Uh, uh, when somebody's friend needs a favor, they're going to do it. And the, I, I like the idea. The concept is great that we're going to try and be fair and equitable. But what if someone comes along and says, "You know what? We'll either move from Kansas City to, to Overland Park or Omaha,"
1: hmm.
5: and you're saying we're going to
1: uh, Overland Park.
5: So you don't, think, you don't think it's not the, gonna, it's not you gonna don't happen. think the
1: states and and whatever cities get involved are going to abide by the agreements they make? Ultimately no. They won't because but they the still can use incentives. Though, Ron. They yeah, can yeah, use it for, for ten years, years of yeah. oh, not yeah, oh, twenty-five. Yeah.
4: Oh, but I think sure. that it's it's a huge step forward. I mean, we tried this for yeah. so many years. I mean, yeah. I Patrick's so, right. We we had, the states, years, the so states have their own issues because and devil's the details. But it's positive step. Let me tell you
3: this: if Jason Grill thinks it's a good idea, that means the developers have figured out a way around it. Oh,
0: that hurts! I guess that I guess
1: that summarizes our discussion and ends it. I'm supportive of the border war. From the it on. From the day he. Announced and even before, Joe Biden was considered the front runner for the Democratic presidential nomination. He still maintains a strong lead in the polls, sometimes showing twice as much support as his nearest rival. But getting to the nomination may not be as easy as many Biden backers assumed. The former vice president has been plagued by changes in policy positions, mediocre debate performances, his age. Biden would be 78 by inauguration day. And Biden seems unsure about a perceived swing leftward by much of the party, backing such things as a Green New Deal, open borders and Medicare for all. So now as analysts, not advocates, analysts, not advocates, rate Biden's chances to be the Democratic nominee on a scale of one to ten. One means not likely at all, Ten means he's got it in the bag. What number, Jason, and why?
4: Uh, I give him a 7.5, about 75%. That's a, that's not a rookie score, Mike. That's 7.5. Um, I think that he has the name ID, has the heads in the polls. He's the only candidate right now that's beating Trump. I think in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Those are the three states that this whole election's going to come down to. Uh, he is. He's raised money. He's seen as the. Uh, the Convenient choice. He seen as a less risky choice. He's a, a more of a moderate Obama Democrat, of course. I, I just think all of the signs point to him winning. There's only about five to seven candidates right now that are putting up a challenge. I think Warren and Sanders are going to split votes in a lot of these states. So I'd have to, if I was betting on it, I'd have to bet on Joe Biden.
1: One right question for you: Have you watched him in debates?
4: I have, and the first performance was poor. I
1: forgot to mention. Do you think that. the second was good?
4: Much better, and I think that that's that's a good thing, uh, but, and he's but, improving. But,
1: but good? Was it good? I you thought said it was good. Better. I thought
4: it was good. I thought that he was getting hit by eight different people at once, and. That, that number will slowly go down, and I think the Democrats have gone way too far to the left in these debates. And as Bill Maurer said on his show, like, Joe, nobody's excited about Joe Biden like they were for President Obama or others, but it's like going to McDonald's in Europe. It, it's it, convenient. You feel good about it. And if Democrats want to be Trump, if that's their motivation— they need to put someone there that actually can do it in the swing state. Is that
1: the same Bill Maher who said he hopes there would be a depression so he might have Trump would done that he might have of said a recession my friend. Uh, uh, Gwen, what number and why?
0: Well, I I agree with Jason actually. I was going to say 07.5 or 8 for all the all the same reasons. I think um you know, he's it, I think he'll do better in the debate, when the field is is more narrow, I think I you know everybody's you know taking shots at him, and but in a one-on-one debate, I think he will will rise to the occasion. I think he's more electable right, right now than the others. They are too far to the left. He,
1: he, to me, he seems out of practice, and when he does this for a longer yeah, period of time, yeah. he may may get better.
0: What what,
3: what number, Patrick? So I would say about eight out of 10, but I think that number is, that's the highest point. It's it's getting lower all the time. The problem with Biden is that his issue is he's electable. Right. Nobody particularly uh, falls in love with him, right, or has the passion. But it's the, he's the most electable. Uh, and, and the problem with Biden is not that he's uh, a gaff prone because he's old. It's he's gaff prone. because you know, he's, he's always Joe Green, Biden. Yeah. right. That, that's <laughs> nothing new. Uh, but but with every performance, I think he will weaken. And the fact that you elect somebody simply because they're electable, any particular gaffe, any fall, any stumble, any health scare, and that number will be wiped out.
1: Uh, Ron, it seems to me that the, the left wing of the party is going to rebel and will not allow Biden to be the nominee. But what number do you give him? I, I give him an eight, uh, and I do. I think for this reason, I think the, the party is very
5: loyal. I think he was very loyal to President Obama, the most popular Democrat president for in our lifetime. Uh, well, actually, Kennedy gives him a good count. Comp- uh, uh, competition there but so, so they're going to support him yeah, they're going to support him for loyalty uh, and it's really in the same vein as I, I think the, the 2016 election is that they're going to end up losing again because they don't have a very good candidate
1: Jason we, we've heard a lot uh, and this wasn't a planned part of the discussion because it occurred uh, after the material was prepared for the program but I'm sure you're all aware of the mass shootings over the weekend are they going to play a role in the campaign? Are they going to uh, help the Democratic Party? The calls for gun control in the aftermath, the criticism of the president and his tweeting.
4: I, I think so. I think I think most polls show that Americans want some common sense gun control or gun uh, uh, legislation, whether that's background checks, whether that's... Some form of uh, the red flag laws. I think it will help the Democrats uh, a little bit for the time being if if something doesn't get done. But hopefully something will. There will be a bipartisan solution that does get done before the election. I
0: I think Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump will will help the Democratic Party uh, to get to win the office in 2020. I think you know uh, that behavior will. When you when you talk about Biden uh, being uh, running solely because he can beat beat Trump, I think uh, the other boost for the DEMOCRATIC PARTY IS TRUMP HIMSELF IF HE CONTINUES THE the RACIST RHETORIC. And Mitch McConnell, if he refuses to bring forward legisla- legislation to uh, protect democracy, the vote, and to at least uh, consider something to address uh, reasonable background checks we'll for give all the, gun We'll give you the
1: final word sure. if it can be brief. Uh,
0: sure. I think uh, <laughs> any
3: Democrat that remembers the 1994 assault weapon ban would disagree with Jason that gun control is good for Democrats. It's it's never been good for Democrats. And the polling is meaningless because people will say, would you like a moderate, uh, you know, sane gun control legislation? Legislation? Yes. And then when you actually
1: present them one, they're like, not that one. Uh, a common sense. Gun control law depends on what you consider common sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Background But shows. it
0: needs to be debated. Well, we have background but checks not, now.
1: Not, not, that, not that, for But the, it needs, and to, and it the, needs
0: the, to come to the Senate floor so it can be debated.
1: People who committed President the crimes Trump has have passed the background check.
5: All in right. Chicago okay, had we're
0: never all all right. No.
1: <laughs> Shoot <laughs> down this week. discussion and move on. It is time now for roast and toast, where the ruckheads have 30 seconds each to exculpate, vindicate, or advocate. And we start with Jason.
4: I'd like to toast six, six district city councilmen and now Mayor Pro Tem, Kevin McManus. This week, Councilman McManus joined me on my weekly radio show on 980 a.m. Saturday Kevin has been at a 4 great, p.m. Kevin has been a great public servant both in Jefferson City and Kansas City. He has stayed out of the day-to-day political fray and drama while managing to get things done for his district and KC. I applaud Mayor Quinton Lucas for appointing him to the position of Mayor Pro Tem. I believe he will do a great job in this role and help move and communicate the collective ideas of all of the council forward. I toast a toast to the new mayor, KC Mayor Pro Tem, Kevin McManus, and also a toast to Quint Lucas for
1: appointing him to Mayor Pro Tem. Did you approve those comments? Uh, I did. All right, Uh, Patrick. No kidding,
3: are we allowing ads? Uh, A toast to Kansas City Star's editorial board for their recent pieces opposing subsidies for the chief's training camp, opposing subsidies for a downtown office building without tenants, and calling for reform of the whole subsidies regime. In doing so, the star joins a growing number of policymakers, activists, and researchers who realize that shilling for downtown developers isn't a winning strategy citywide. Uh, Success requires hard work tackling real challenges such as crime, infrastructure, and basic services. It can't merely be bought with a hotel or a bike lane.
5: Ron. Uh, looking at uh, the gun control issue right now in, in, uh, in America, and we're talking all about the racial aspects of it, which, again, it's not racist when somebody's murdered, it's hate. And whether it's Chicago, we have over 547 people who've been murdered in the last year, over 400 of them uh, African-American, it wasn't racially motivated. it's people hating people. And it is a mental illness, it's an issue we've got to look into, and it's not as simple as gun control laws. Chicago has the strictest gun control laws in the country. doesn't work. Gwen?
0: I'm roasting Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell for violating the Congressional oath of office by his refusal to defend the Constitution against all men enemies, foreign and domestic. McConnell stubbornly and unilaterally stands in the way of any and all attempts to consider legislation that would prevent Russian interference in our elections and protect the democracy that we hold so dear.
1: All right, and finally, here's a toast to Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, a Republican with a sense of humor something frequently missing in our political dialogue, asked what he thinks of the president's apparent obsession with tweeting. Kennedy said this, I have assured the president that tweeting less does not cause brain damage. He could have added it might just do the opposite. And that is Ruckus for this week. We're off for a couple of weeks back on August the 29th. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, I'm Mike Shannon saying thanks very much for watching and good night.